Welcome to Hospitality Forward, a podcast with the listeners in more than 100 countries. My name is Hana Lee. I am president and founder of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning global PR agency specialized in hospitality and travel. And I'm Michael Anstendig, editor-in-chief of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning co-author of The Japanese Hour of the Cocktail, and a food and beverage writer. Helping the community has always been part of our agency's mission. We understand that a lot of business owners, bartenders, chefs, sommeliers, and others might not have the resources to hire a PR agency. So we created our podcast so that our listeners can get to know leading reporters and writers and start building relationships. Each week, our media guests from around the globe share their practical advice on how hospitality and travel professionals can be spotlighted in their stories. In fact, one of our loyal listeners got featured in the New York Times after listening to our podcast and following our media guests' tips. So, you could be next. Also, please send your favorite pitching tips from the episode to hello at hanaleecommunications.com for a chance to win a copy of our agency's book, The Japanese Art of the Cocktail. And now, moving on to the show. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Marcy Waldman, a seasoned network news professional with over 30 years of experience. Marcy is a producer for CBS Saturday Morning and the creator of its James Beard award-winning segment, The Dish, which explores chefs and restaurateurs through the lens of their food and what role it has played in developing their lives and careers. Hi, Marcy. Welcome to the show. So nice to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Marcy, you are one of the first second-generation journalists on our show. So tell us about your journey to journalism. You know, my father worked at CBS News, and I grew up begging him to take me to work. The first time he took me there, it was just a magical place to me. He helped create the CBS News archives, which was the place where like magic happened to me. It was all these old men sitting in edit rooms smoking, and it was just all of these different colored wheels of film that I used to use as like building blocks. And I would just I would just like sit on the floor and watch them. So I grew up with this image of CBS News that was like larger than life in my head and just always wanted to be there. And I had truly no idea what they did, but it was just something that I knew I wanted to do as my profession. And, you know, I started there as the assistant to an executive producer on the morning show and just worked my way up through the ranks to producer. You know, I was a senior producer. Then I went back and became a, a producer for the Saturday show. You know, when you're management, you forget really, you know, so many things about the job. But when I became a producer again, I realized how much I had missed the nitty gritty of just putting things on TV and watching it and then moving on to the next thing that you put on TV. So let's talk about CBS Saturday Morning and how it differs from other morning shows. We we started off as a very traditional morning broadcast doing very lifestyle-y type of things. And 
during the pandemic, we really had to change how we did everything because we couldn't travel. And, you know, it was, it was much more challenging to find ways of doing the stories we wanted to do. And we found ourselves pivoting to a much more Sunday morning-esque feel for the broadcast. And we moved away from traditional, quote unquote, lifestyle segments and really found that doing long format pieces was not just our niche, but what we excelled at as as journalists and creatively. So what is your current role and what are your responsibilities on the show? Um, I'm a producer for a show um, that has very few people working on it. We are small but mighty. I am not just in charge of The Dish, which is our culinary-driven segment with a focus on chefs, restaurateurs, and the industry. I'm also in charge of The Deals segment, which is the piece that everybody is doing these days on sponsorships and really making money for the company in in selling things. Um, And, you know, the A block, which is the top of the news segments, you know, pretty much anything they tell me to do, I do. (laughs) It's that simple. (laughs) You're you're very amenable. (laughs) So let's circle back to the dish for a moment. And uh, what inspired you to create it? You know, we, we were doing um, a segment called Chef on a Shoestring, and it had started many, many, many years ago. I had nothing to do with it, you know, when it first began. And it was bringing chefs in and giving them, years ago, $10 for a family of four to create a meal. I think, and then it moved to like $20, and then it moved to like $40. And there was like no real challenge there because it was like, create chicken create pasta. Like it was very easy to feed a family of four on $40. So our executive producer at the time, Michael Rosen, was noodling around with the idea of changing it. And I had come up with an idea of, you know, asking the chefs that that come in for, for Chef on a Shoestring, you know, if they could share their meal with anyone past or present, who would it be? And, you know, creating their ultimate dish surrounding that premise. I always describe it as chef, you know, this is your life and guess who's coming to dinner. And, you know, the dish has turned into a six, seven minute, you know, tape piece now. But the essence of the dish, which is that sit down conversation at a table is still, you know, what we focus on. What kind of chefs or restaurateurs do you like to feature on your segment? For example, do you prefer more established folks or emerging talent? It's really the story that they have to tell. And, you know, it takes a lot of research, a lot of reading on my part to find a chef that not only has a story, but can tell their story. And chefs predominantly are in the kitchen because they don't want to be, you know, out and about telling their stories. So, you know, there are, there are some that are really, really good at it and naturally can tell a tale. And I always tell them, I'm like, this is your story. Just be comfortable in telling your own story. And some chefs are wonderful at it. And remember anecdotes from, you know, the first time they, they remember cooking and what they remembered cooking and others, others just don't, you know, and, 
you know, it's so funny. I always say that media training is so important for chefs because you can't really be successful today without going in front of the media at some point, whether it's a podcast, whether it's TV, whether it's a cooking show. Chefs and restaurateurs need to be comfortable in their own skin to be successful today. Let's say a chef doesn't have a PR agency or the budget to hire a media trainer. What do you recommend they do? It really is difficult for chefs to do it on their own. It's I hate to say it, but it truly it truly is difficult. You know, especially for something a segment that is so acid heavy, like the dish. Like we're looking for childhood images. And for us to like constantly be bothering a chef, you know, during dinner service, you know. And then a chef is always like, Well, I asked my parents and they're going through their attic, you know. We do it because it just makes the segment better. But for a chef not to, not to at least understand what they're getting into is really difficult. I've always said that culinary schools that don't teach media training to some degree do a bit of a disservice to their students. You know what? That's an idea for cooking school and culinary school. And I think Maybe those who are running the culinary school, if, if they're listening now, maybe they will consider our curricula and then having Marcy as an instructor. Sure. <laughs> I'm happy to step up and offer my experience. There's no better person than you who can you know, share the practical tips and insights. Well, thank you. So, Marcy, we wanted to thank you for featuring our client, Chef Rich Teresi of Major Food Group's Teresi Bar and Restaurants. And his lovely grandmother, Angie. Oh, my God. Grandma Angie was wonderful. She made the piece. 102 years old of just delight. What did, what did you find most surprising about Chef Rich, who actually is kind of a shy guy? You know, he's very shy, but, you know, you and I were talking and you said that he was such a history buff. And when we told Jeff that, there was like an in because the two of them shared, you know, this love of history. And, you know, if you watch the segment when he's standing outside talking about the Puck building and about the architecture, like the, he like really comes to life. And I think that connection always helps with an interview. But, you know, when a chef is talking about their food, their passion, it doesn't matter if they're shy or not, because their love of what they're doing shines through. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can tell us more about co-host of The Dish and how you match them with the featured chefs. You know, so Dana Jacobson is um, one of our anchors, Michelle Miller and Jeff Glor. And the three of them have completely different personalities. So it's, it's interesting. I don't know what it is about each chef and how I pair them. I've known them for so many years. I just know which conversations will work the best with each chef. And I know that, you know, Michelle, I'm not going to send Michelle to a barbecue restaurant because she doesn't eat meat. So Jeff has an amazing palate and will eat anything. And Dana loves food, but she loves conversation more. So it's not, it's not as difficult as it may seem, but there's also like just intuitiveness. Like I just know which anchor will, will garner the best conversation. How is the segment structured and how far in advance do you book talent? 
Um, right now we're booked through the end of July. I do have to worry about the anchors travel schedules, which are bonkers. So I don't book that far in advance, but I book far enough in advance that I'm not chasing myself to, you know, get things scheduled. And, you know, it's also producers. I need to worry about tape producer schedules and what else they're working on and editor schedules. And it's, it's a very fine ballet dance, you know, but the dish, we want to tell a story that makes sense. And when I'm talking to a new producer, I'm, I always try to, to discuss like a chef's origin story. It's not just from childhood. It's that moment when they had that, aha, this is what I want to do. Look, David Boulay was a dishwasher. You know, it was so many years ago. It was, he was one of the very first chefs that we ever had on the dish. And he was telling the story about being a dishwasher. And when the segment was over, he was walking down the stairs and he was like, that was terrible. Nobody cares that I'm a dishwasher. And I was like, chef, everybody cares. Everybody cares that you're a dishwasher. Do you know why? Because there are millions of dishwashers out there right now that want to become a chef and don't know how to do it. And you've given them hope that they're in the kitchen and they're learning and it's an opportunity. So when you, when you have that germ, you know, when you have that, that inception story, the rest of this segment really does follow a rhythm. You know, it's an ebb and flow in, in somebody's life. So question, Marcy, do you typically need a news peg to feature someone? No, I very rarely, I try to tell people, I'm like, I, I don't need a news peg. I don't need a national anything day to feature a chef. I need a chef that has a story to tell and that I find interesting and compelling and can tell their story. So if chef has a cookbook coming out in a couple of months, does that change your... Um, it depends. If if it's a cookbook, if it's a chef that I haven't featured before and they have a cookbook coming out, yes, I'd love a cookbook. And, you know, if if a chef is going to be on one of the other morning shows, I won't follow because it's just, I don't want it to appear that we're following another morning show. But I'm happy to do it in four or five months down the line, and then the cookbook gets a second hit, so to speak. So yes, sometimes we want to be first with a cookbook, but if it's a good story, I'm, I'm happy to do it months after the book comes out. So how do you find these chefs and restaurateurs to feature? Um, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of re relationship building, you know, like you guys, you know, the relationships that I have with PR agencies and with, you know, specific people in the business. And, you know, sometimes chefs themselves having built relationships with them. But it's a lot of, you know, looking at magazines and knowing, you know, what festivals are coming out to see if there's somebody new on a list or, you know, knowing what books are coming out. It's just it's research, research, research. And relationships, relationships, relationships. So once you've picked your chef to feature, could you walk us through step-by-step step the process of how the segment actually comes together? Sure. So it's making contact with an agency. Um, if they don't have it listed, I always, I encourage agencies, if you represent a chef, have your information on their website so that somebody can contact you. Um, but sometimes if, if it's not, I dig a little bit 
And sometimes I just have to call the restaurant and ask if they have representation. And I make contact with the agency. Um, I usually send them a couple of clips from past dishes. So, you know, after we make contact, after we confirm the chef, then we confirm their availability. You know, we try to get the anchor schedule and the chef schedule together. I get a producer and I bring a producer on board. We start planning the menu and then it's, you know, the financial end of it. And then it's finding, you know, finding a crew. And if it's a bureau, I need to, you know, get a bureau. And then we usually have to hire a freelance crew because you can't have two staff crews go out. That's like an impossibility. Um, and, you know, depending on where it is in the country, you know, either I will go as well if it's tri-state area. And if not, it's a producer. And, you know, once the producer gets there, we usually FaceTime a lot to go over the table setting and shoot. <laughs> then we shoot. And then, you know, once everything is, is brought together, you know, it's, it's time to edit and it's bringing an editor on board and, you know, having the anchor write the script and finagling it. And then, you know, working with the producer to get the best story told and working with the PR agencies and the chefs to get all the assets that we need, whether it's video of them, whether it, you know, online or whether it's, you know, images throughout their childhood and cooking photos and dish photos. And it's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> In, indeed. So let's get practical, Marcy. What, what would you say are some very important pitching tips, the kinds of things that appeal to you and the kinds of things that should never be pitched to you? Um, don't pitch me and then send me a link to another morning show and tell me that, oh, they were just on blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, delete. Like, it's so frustrating when that happens. Um, but know the show. One of my biggest pet peeves is when somebody says to me, well, what is your show looking for? And I'm like, why don't you go online and watch the show and at least get a little bit of an idea of what we're looking for? Like, it's not my job to tell you how to do your job, you know, but, you know, people that are like, oh, my gosh, I love the dish. Oh, my gosh, I love your show. Oh, my gosh, I love Jeff Moore's books. I love the pieces that Michelle does. I love Dana. Like, those are the people that I want to take a moment and read, you know, what they're doing, what they're interested in as well. Are there any days of the week to avoid pitching you? My days off are Sunday, Monday, and Fridays are the worst because we're gearing up for our show. And honestly, even if it's not something that I'm, that I'm interested in, I always respond. I think it's so rude when people don't. Even if I say, thanks, it's not for us. Like, I will always respond to people. You have. You know what? That's like something about you. You're kind. It's appreciated. Mm -hmm. So let's let's shift the focus for a moment to social media. So how does CBS Saturday Morning leverage social to promote the segments before, during, and after they air? And what should featured talent do to help out on their own social channels? You know, we have a social media producer, um, Diane. CBS has you know a very active Twitter account, very active Facebook account and a very active um, following. Um, our anchors are primarily on Instagram, and I'm primarily on Instagram, and I'm not as active on my account as I should be, but I'm very active in um, 
in cyber stalking other people. That's what they call research. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Marcy, given that your show reaches millions of people, yes, how has the dish positively impacted chefs' lives or businesses? We have the most amazing viewers who are so passionate about the segment and buy cookbooks like nobody's business. Like we sell books, but we sell cookbooks. We could sell 4,000 cookbooks in a weekend. I mean, obviously selling cookbooks um, the way we do helps a chef's bottom line. But, you know, the, the, the dish has one of the highest rated segments of the broadcast. So, you know, whenever anybody is on, we always hear from them that people come into their restaurants and are like, oh my gosh, I just saw you on the dish. And, you know, that their reservation lines go crazy. If they don't live in the area, some people travel to a restaurant that they just saw featured. I got a letter once from a, from a viewer in Houston. It was a letter. And it was a man who wrote and said that he had just seen the dish on his local station in Houston. And he wanted to take his wife out for their anniversary dinner, but he didn't catch the name of the restaurant. And can I please write him back and tell him the name of the restaurant? And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's so sweet. <laughs> Very old school. I know. I was like, how do I write a letter? <laughs> it was really lovely. Moving on to the mission of the podcast. Yes. So as you know, we call our podcast Hospitality Forward. So in your opinion, Marcy, what organization or person have you recently seen innovating and moving our hospitality industry forward? Uh, you know, in so many ways, I think that the pandemic really had not just restaurants closing, but I think that a lot of chefs came out of it with like a real understanding of what the industry needed in terms of mental health help, you know, and um, Chris Shepard is a chef that um, has a foundation called Southern Smoke, and it started years before the you know the pandemic. Um, and it started off with I think his sommelier had multiple sclerosis, and he wanted to help him. And I think that that was like like 2015, maybe 2016. I don't remember the exact year. Um, but a few years later, he really he really turned what Southern Smoke meant for the industry and for hospitality workers in general. And it was a way for industry, you know, workers to be taken care of. And whether it was help needing their rent paid or help, you know, buying groceries and for underpaid workers that, you know, were living on tips alone, you know, and, and didn't have any mental health, you know, coverage or medical coverage in general. And over the years, Southern Smoke has boomed and has taken care of so many people, especially I think that during the pandemic, they gave out like five, six million dollars to industry workers. So, I mean, Chris is one of them. J.J. Johnson is a New York chef that started off in fine dining and um, created Field Trip a couple of years ago and only hires workers that live in the neighborhood and gives back to the neighborhood, tries to to instill this understanding in neighborhoods how important restaurants are and that it's not just about employing restaurant workers but also that the lights that a restaurant has on at night is a safety measure for a restaurant and that garbage pickup 
in front of the restaurant is also a health, you know, message and trying to uplift neighborhoods by uplifting restaurant workers. Oh, so beautiful. We love Chef JJ. He's the best. And, and a fun guy to boot. Oh my gosh. He's, I love him. I love him. But I love, I love how he understands taking care of a neighborhood, takes care of everybody. Yeah, he cares. Yep. And now a tasty question, Marcy. Oh my. What's your favorite drink? And if you could choose one person, who would you share it with and why? Um, my favorite, I have to say, I really love to kill, although I'm like, I'm in a very April sports mood these days, maybe because like the sun has come out again. And who would I have it with? Like, my first answer is a little bit sad. Like, I would love to have a drink with Anthony Bourdain. Like, just find out why that last day of his life was just so dark that he couldn't see himself out of it. Like, his story is so heartbreaking in so many ways. But I think that it, it like, shines such a mental health light on, on this industry in general. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a sad answer, but... I adored him. And I think that so many people just were so sad that that's how his incredible story ended. I'm sorry I don't have a happier answer. It's not always a happy story. I know. If we had a chance, I think we'd love to have a drinks with him if we had an opportunity. Yeah. All right. So moving on to something brighter. Okay, good. What country is on your bucket list for travel and why? Oh, my gosh. Italy is my favorite place in the entire world. Like, if you said we were leaving for Italy right now, I would meet you at the airport in 45 minutes. Like, Tuscany, for me, is one of the most perfect places on earth. Like, the people, the I mean, obviously the food, but the history of the region and the beauty are just... The first time I was there, I literally was gobsmacked. I just couldn't believe that a place was so ancient and felt it. Like this history just hits you in the face in a way that nothing else does. It was amazing. I mean, we love Tuscany and we did PR for the Tuscany Tourism Board and also Maremma Tourism Board within the Tuscany region. I mean, those years were heaven. I mean, it was absolutely beautiful to travel there and just oh, everything about that area is just beauty and heaven and everything you want. Exactly. It's a special place. It's incredible. I always, I always tell people when they're like, you know, where should we go? I was like, Tuscany. They're like, well, we were going to go to Rome for a few days. I'm like, two, three days, Tuscany. Get to Tuscany. Words to live by. Words to live by, exactly. <laughs> so, Marcy, could you share your contact information so our listeners can reach out to you to pitch their stories? Yes, it's mbw at cbsnews.com. And it's Marcy Beth CBS on Instagram. Thanks, Marcy. It was so lovely to speak with you and spend some time together here. So thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. I love you guys. Love you more. <laughs> Look forward to seeing you soon. I can't wait. That was a great look behind the scenes of how TV magic happens at The Dish. Now that you know what Marcy is looking for, please feel free to reach out to her and introduce yourself. And don't forget to mention that you heard her on our Hospitality Forward podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Also, for all media guests to date, 
You can find their information and episodes on our agency's website, www.hanaleecommunications.com. That's a wrap for Season 5. Stay tuned for Season 6. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.